0: Welcome to the Evolve Move Play podcast. I'm your host, Rafe Kelly. At Evolve Move Play, our aim is to help you cultivate a more meaningful life and a more heroic self by reconnecting deeply to movement, mindfulness, nature, and community practices. This podcast was created to bring the best and brightest minds in all of these subjects together to better understand how we can create an empowering and sustainable ecology of practices for personal growth. If you're interested in being part of this ongoing conversation, the best way you can support us and get involved is by joining our Podcast Plus membership. By joining, you will get backstage access to our live podcast airing once a month, as well as a private question and answer session with me and our guests after the show. On top of that, you'll get access to our thriving online community where you can continue these deeper discussions with people all over the world who are just as passionate and curious about these topics as you. More details about the membership as well as the link to get signed up are in the description below. And Whether you can join, be sure to like, share, subscribe, and hit that bell icon so you can be notified every Monday when our episodes drop. Thanks so much for your support, and we hope you enjoy the show. Cool. Well, welcome once again to the Evolve Move Play podcast. Tom, it's good to see you. Good to see you too. I went back and listened to our, our first interview. It was the fourth interview in the history of the Evolve Me Play podcast.
1: You've spoken to a lot of people since me, so you must be a lot smarter now. I, I'm not sure I have spoken to that many people since then. Perhaps not in a in a,
0: in, a, in this in this format, but we'll see. So I wanted to start with, a very strange question, I suppose, but.
1: Why do we dance? Why do human beings dance? Why do human beings dance? It's, uh, it's we go right into it. This yeah, is uh, right <laughs> it. <laughs> no uh, no small talk. No no no. <laughs> uh, well, I, I think I think um, human dance because um, because they can um, in because it makes them happy uh, more than anything else. Uh, I think that, that, of course, you know, like that, 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 would be the simple answer. And I think also that everybody that can dance and that uh, everybody can be happy from dancing. Uh, but of course, the answer goes. I think also it has more, um, more uh, complex um, integrations of, of human development, things that connects to art, to expression, to communication. Um, and even to to um, to recording history. Um, so I think the dance has a lot of functions that are very uh, that have a lot of meaning. Um, but the 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 most uh, strong reason is that uh, um, is that the happiness and the capability. So we're going to take a step back here because I usually just
0: start with the questions because I do an intro, but we're not going to do an intro. So. <laughs> Because we're live. Uh, so we'll come back to that question in advance. But uh, um, for those of you watching, uh, Tom and I go back quite a long ways. I think we met in 2014, something like that, um, at a workshop you did at the athletic playground. Um, we've talked together, as I mentioned before, At, um, or at that, that last podcast we did was after we talked together at the um, Movement Orienteering and Body Intelligence Camp. It's quite a yeah. experience. Um, So I've had a big respect for for your work and and the way that all these these things interact and the thoughtfulness you bring to it. So um, your background is a mixture of martial arts and dance and acrobatics, basically starting as a child and then really kind of honing in professionally as a dancer starting in your teens, correct? Yes, yes, that's correct. Okay, so I asked this question because I was, I was reading some of the stuff you sent over and it's all about expression, right? Talking about expression and the need of, of somebody to express. And, and it seems to me to be a very dance specific kind of perspective on movement. Like I don't, I don't think about expression as a primary purpose of movement, right? I, I tend to think about function. And I think when we get into this place of expression, I have this sense of getting a little bit lost, of feeling a little bit ungrounded. And, and I thought that this was an interesting tension to talk about because I think that dance is a really important aspect of movement culture and how we understand movement. But I also have this, like, sometimes I watch people in the dancing and, and some of the stuff that's going on in like the broader movement culture where people are doing coordinations and they're doing all these just moving on the ground patterns or whatever it is. And there's part of me that rebels against it. It's, what is the point of this? Like, why are you? Why are you just wiggling on the ground? Like, like sometimes it's like you should you should just be able to do the basic human stuff. Can you throw? Can you jump? Can you hit somebody? Can you take a hit? Can you run away from somebody? And uh, and 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 when people talk very esoterically about the, the function of movement and it and it this is the output, there's something that rebels in me, and I know that there's something also of deep value, but I was I was just I wanted to start there because I thought that was an interesting thing. There's something about wanting to have a solid ground to stand on that I think deviates me even though I've explored dance and I've loved working with you. But I always, I always default back into my practice to parkour and martial arts. Like, If I'm not doing anything else, I want to be able to run away from somebody, chase somebody down and take a hit and give a hit. Um, so, so that's why I asked that question. And, and um, don't, I feel like I've said a bunch but not come back to you with a question. But, but how do you, well, let's, let, me, let me try to tie this back. You also are a martial artist, right? And yeah. how, do you, how do you see that interaction between the expressive side and what that brings up for you versus returning to the functional side
1: well, let me just make a small, um, let's say a disclaimer here. And the disclaimer is connected also with the introduction of me, because as you said, I, I started as a kid from a very um, versatile and wide athletic background. did karate, kyoku shinkai, since probably five years old or something. I took uh, capoeira around eight or, eight or nine. I played basketball, I played soccer, and swimming, my parents uh, and the combination of a uh, Polish and Russian and um, had a very, very uh, ambitious um, perspective on education. So I was doing a lot of things. And I'm, I'm very thankful for this. And, um, and indeed, the basics were were what you described, I think, and um, you locomote yourself, which is it, it feels like something you know, you can uh, Uh, escape, you can uh, run for your life, you can uh, hunt, and you can interact also with, um, with, with play, you know, that play, I think is also, it can be a nice bridge between expression and function, but maybe we'll get to it later. And, and also, aside from this, and also they send it to, again, Russian, Polish, uh, chess, arts, um, and so on, and so on, which is the connection to culture, which I think is also something that actually is very fundamentally human. So you have um, the the human movement capacities, which I think again, you defined perfectly. You have play, capacities to play, and you have capacities to to interact with the culture. And then I think when people receive a base that uh, fulfills them, at a certain point, they get pulled towards somewhere in this space. It's not a, you know, it's not something that is absolute. Uh, I can be pulled towards one direction then get pulled into another direction. But me, I guess that I always had a certain tendency towards the, um, towards this ambiguous thing called art. And for example, nowadays, I'm a little bit even shifting from being a um, in, in the past few years, which was like performer and a very, I would say, um, and young people's teacher to, um, to choreographer slash director and to invest more in pedagogy, which I feel is more of a versatile take on teaching than like kind of a young people's teacher that is dealing more with uh, the, the highlights. So even today, as I get older, I see how this space kind of takes an interesting uh, place. And again, and it has some kind of an artistic influence, um, which is something that is very natural to me. And I think that different people will get pulled towards different things, uh, and this is normal. I don't think that everybody needs to get pulled towards everything uh, just as much. Uh, on the other hand, I do agree with you that there is something uh, it, it, that it is an interesting question. Uh, what's kind of fundamental? Uh, what's fundamental on a, on a human level you know uh, maybe also we cannot answer it probably we are not because it's a very big question but going back from this disclaimer that is I am being pulled towards art because probably something about my personality and my taste aside from this disclaimer I do think that there is something very very fundamental about it just as much as running for your life throwing and catching and um, and examples that is easier to consider on an evolutionary level. And and if we need to kind of nail it down to two things that I believe every human uh, in whatsoever profession or place in the world can benefit is the interaction with culture and communication. So being an artist or expressing oneself is the ability to contextualize this um, personality this ambiguous and ever-changing thing called personality with the context of either culture or with the context of um, simply another person uh, so I, I think this is kind of a answers in a way or at least opening a door uh, uh, in response to your question
0: one one
1: it, it sounds to me as if
0: you might be saying that... Um, dance is kind of like the place in which movement meets communication.
1: Yes, 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 yes. I mean, it's a certain type of a, a communication because again, there is another thing here that we have to remember is that dance is not functional, you know, on a, on a in a direct manner. So yeah. if we go back to an evolutionary idea, and um, let's for a moment forget about dance and let's use art here. And um, with the act of hunting, you know, it's very easy to use hunting as a metaphor for something evolutionary. And then when we talk about hunting, there is the, uh, the physical capacities that are necessary for the people who need to hunt, to go hunting. But the before and after the construction of a team going to hunt also includes cave painting, also includes celebration, also includes um, division uh, within the, the tribe or whatever it is that we're dealing with. And all of these things, they are always done also with a certain amount of art. And again, cave paintings is an easy example. Dancing as a celebration is an easy example, but we can even go more deeper, you know, getting ambitious, getting pumped and faith, you know, Everything that's ever been, and again, I know this example can go the wrong way, but everything that's ever been connected to, to gods, to beliefs, has always been expressed through artistic manners, because it's abstract things, and you don't have a functional way to bring them forward. Uh, so in that sense, it has something very, very, very fundamental, much more, uh, in my opinion, than uh, it's not only a luxury in that sense, it's something very, very integral in our basic uh, human capacities.
0: The, the integration of all these things is kind of a, a particular interest of mine right because I've been, let's say I, I, I ran into the idea that, that parkour made my life more meaningful. And then I asked, well, why? And then why does somebody else try it and not not sustain that sense of meaning or how how i how might i approach my practice such that i will get that sustained sense of meaning over time and so you start iterating that out and you know then i interact with the ideas of john bakey and jordan peterson and get get all this stuff and and i come to this idea that that fundamentally you're 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 cultivating virtue you're trying to become a person you admire such that you can be more deeply connected to the things that are meaningful in life which is all the aspects of the self, the aspects of the self in relationship to the external environment and to other agents, right? That's really, it's all the meaning in the world is, is, is contained in those relationships in some sense, right? Yep. And uh, and so, so then there's this point at which the work is almost more philosophical than it is physical. And there was a point at which I was like, wait, that's, that's like, am I beyond my scope of practice as a teacher? Right? I, know mm-hmm. I, I know that I can make someone do a Kong ball really well. Right? That's 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 simple and it's very it's very measurable. Right? There's a comfort in things that are grounded in, you know, that have a um, an empiricism to them. And then playing in these other realms becomes uh, becomes something that, that can feel very ungrounded. And uh, but as I as I started to think about it and ask this question, I came back to this realization that that actually all of these things used to cohabitate, right? That that your that movement culture was never just about movement in the past. That that you that if you go to a um, you know a pre-modern society in most of the world, you'll find that wrestling and dancing are things that happen at religious festivals and that you dance a specific character from your mythology and it's all wrapped into the story the the narratives that you engage in your your, your cosmology um and you know um my friend Scott Park Phillips has been talking about the idea that that like Tai Chi and Ba Gua and Yi, like you can't understand them by thinking of them simply as as physical martial arts, right? If you look for the, 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 the origins of the techniques solely from a, like a, a practical application standpoint, you're, you're not going to understand it because actually the techniques arise from this interaction of Taoist religious practice with theater, dance, and the martial arts. So to go back to your example of the dancing as part of the ceremony before a hunt or after a hunt. This is a conversation I have had with Simon Thacker as well. Um, Other predators don't exactly do that. Like wolves play beforehand, but they don't necessarily sort of dance a deer dance before they go hunt deer, right? Or a tiger, for instance, doesn't really play at all necessarily before. But human beings engage in these, sort of gesture games that precede hunting and succeed hunting and have the ceremonial aspect. And John Rake has talked about the idea that that, that was a kind of psycho technology that actually better allowed us to, to kind of enter the mind frame of the animal that we we're trying to hunt and that improved our hunting success. So I'm curious for your uh, if you run into some of these ideas and how, how those interact with the way that you think about in the practice uh,
1: it, it's very interesting what you say again I, I can kind of extract a couple of things out of it um, uh, first of all I, I really like the, the example that you gave, that you say you, you've been doing parkour for, for such a long time and one of the things that you basically discovered is that for you parkour um, has and, and, and gives you meaning and this meaning, is, is, a, is a driving force um, and at the end of the day meaning means that the effectiveness of this activity you call parkour on other relationships in your life your relationship with people your relationship with the space your relationship with the, the, the yeah. architecture around you your relationship with your body your relationship with knowledge and so on and not everybody find the meaning that you find in parkour and um, it has subjectivity um, but uh, obviously it has this potential for deep meaning. Mm-hmm. And I think any, anything that has a potential for deep meaning um, means that it has also the potential to speak to, again, this thing that we're already that we started going around, which is a human core, uh, uh, you know something uh, evolutionary, uh, something uh, fundamental. Um, so, This is, first of all, also for me, I am, I am looking for meaning in the things that I do, Um, and I look for meaning in the way that I move. Um, And this search for meaning takes certain forms. Now, I think, and this is also part of the reason that, you know, every time that we meet each other, regardless of the, the, the scenario or the specific time of what you're exactly interested or me, what I'm exactly interested, it doesn't matter that I call it dance and it doesn't matter that you call it parkour, we basically talk about meaning. know. So obviously that the conversation about meaning has much more uh, interests uh, sorry, has much more similarities than differences. Mm -hmm. Uh, Me, me and in in the the circles that I go around, what's interesting for me is that I meet a lot of people that have a lot of meaning in artistic circles and things that are not so much connected to the body. Uh, I also paint, I also sculpt, I meet lighting designers, I meet actors, and for example, I feel that they're less, what I would call, they're less embodied in their meaning. And my meaning is also very, very much connected to how I move my body. Um, And I think that's the case also with you. Um, And this is also already something that's very, it's a very interesting question mark, why some people, their search for meaning is more embodied than other people's search for meaning. Um, and again, I think it's a very interesting question. I'm not exactly sure the answer. What I, I do know that the argument that you bring forward, which is evolutionary, probably say that at a certain point in the human development, all meanings were connected to the body. Yeah. And even to go a step further, and here I reference um, an author that I appreciate, uh, Maurice Berman, um, that they... Yeah. Um, the, his trilogy, uh, "Wondering God," um, "Coming to Our Senses," and I, I don't remember the third one. I think is a wonderful, uh, it's wonderful reference to this explanation of what is embodied. But there, maybe there was a point in human history where meaning stopped being embodied and started being a different thing. And it might be that there. <laughs> things started to go a little bit uh, funky, a little bit, uh, you know, where things started to go wrong. I'm not, I wouldn't put uh, you know, too much weight on this theory, but I, I think it's something interesting to consider. Um, so this, first of all, about the, about the idea of meaning. Uh, and again, I recommend people to involve their body uh, in, in their meaning, because I think, I think that it's something very fulfilling. And I think that it's something that makes life in general less confusing. You know, yeah. you do meaningful things as much as you believe in meaningful things.
0: Yeah, let's, I'd love, I'd love to stay on that topic for a second. There's a few things that came out of what you just said that were interesting to me, but. So the idea that meaning should be embodied or, 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 or can be embodied or less embodied. There's a couple interesting things for me there. One is that I worry in in presenting this idea that that if we if we make the claim that it, it needs to be embodied, then we we kind of create a hierarchy for how different people approach it that maybe doesn't respect the uh, the variety that people have. Like some people probably need to are going to find the most meaning in practices that are maybe somewhat less embodied less, less, less body focused. And some others are just have a really strong, inherent body orientation. Um, but at the same time, I, I've increasingly come to the belief that it is actually in the body that we have to center this search for me, and that something has been really lost within specifically, I think the Western tradition around this. Um, I, I had a conversation recently with a a Christian pastor who had listened to my conversations with, uh, with John Becky and Paul Manderclay, Jonathan Pajot. And he was asking, How do we bring embodiment and movement into Protestant Christianity? Which is a quite an interesting question to try to, to work with. But he, one of the key ideas that we were, that we were discussing is that traditionally most religions are danced, as you mentioned. And there there is this physical element to the the worship process but somehow that has been extracted from the christian tradition and really especially the Protestant tradition and that 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 is also like the reformation precedes the scientific worldview and the enlightenment and it's like you have descartes and luther these are happening around the same time in europe you have this the sense that that the mind is, is separable from the body, right? And the mind operates in this world where there's actually meaning and spirituality. And the body is really just part of this clockwork, meaningless existence. Right? Like uh, John Ravik talks about the idea that that, that the, the rise of the scientific worldview, in some sense, um, it, it takes us out of a sense of being at home in the world. Because our sense of having agency and things having meaning, it is sort of, uh, it, it can't be justified within science, within the axioms of science. Um, and so I thought that this was uh, something very interesting there in this. How do we, we, I think that, oh, and one other idea that I wanted to, to, to throw at you while we're playing with these ideas is dance may precede language. Um, Joseph Henrik in his book, Joseph Henrik in his book, uh, *The Secret of Our Success*, he talks about how how culture works and how it can scale itself up. And he says that it's very likely that that uh, gesture is where language starts, and the the, the kind of vocalizations and the, the refinement of vocalizations happens a little bit later in the process. And it scales up from that. And it kind of shows how that works out in a sort of game theory way over time. But it it connects to this idea that that part of what made humans unique was our ability to model the natural world around us and engage in animal mimicry. When you watch someone tracking, they're imagining the mind of an animal. And they will physically take on the behavioral characteristics of the animal. And that is connected to their their sense of worshiping that animal spirit, and their sense of being able to dance and, and express, to express the nature of the animal that they are in communication with, in relationship. So, there's something very, very deep for me about this idea of seeking meaning within movement, and how, how all of these things interact. And yet, there's also these places where. Or I feel like something has gotten lost. It's like we're we're all in these little tents, and we don't see the connection, and we don't find the, the fundamental that holds it together. So I'm curious to I don't I don't know how to frame that as a question, but I've, <laughs> I yeah.
1: imagine. Look, first first of all, just to stay, to stay just one more moment on this, like, because you you also, the, the intellectual realm that you open here with the references, so one very, another very um, interesting reference for me um, is the work of Dr. Robert Sapolsky, I don't know if you're familiar with it, Um, and um, he, and a lot of what he brings forward is that um, we are very similar to most mammals, we're also similar to most mammals, but we do it a little bit differently, the same things that they do, then there's some things that we just don't do like mammals. You know, so at the same time, we have things that are extremely animalistic within us that I absolutely think that um, I, I lived in Japan, so I know that like this disease of getting out of the body is not only in the West, also in the East, for example, like, you know, um, nowadays, um, the, the society is getting less and less embodied. Um, and that's something that is, is very much, the reason for this is probably, um, is not a, a reason that we share with the other mammals. <laughs> you know, the reason why we get disembodied, the reason why we, because of hierarchies, because of psychological theories, um, because of the faith in uh, money, or in a weird social status mammals has hierarchies. Nobody have, um, you know, uh, dictators and democracies and uh, <laughs> you know, all of these constructions. So the re- those things and why they make us um, less embodied um, I would say it might be that it's given, you know, that we don't have control over it uh, because we're already there, uh, but, for example, the, this, this connection between meaning and the body, this, I, I really think that it's something that should be practiced more. And, and then for example, you know, so, so one of the things that I think are, are, are yeah. that already came, and I think that we can even make it more simple here, is that the idea of relationships, you know, because at the end of the day, we can all agree that humans need, um, Sleeping, uh, eating, drinking, going to the bathroom, uh, reproduction, and the reason why—you know—humans cannot live without uh, without uh, existential uh, existential um, support or however you want to call it. This is you know that. Uh, yeah. So orientation, let's say. Yeah. yeah. Uh, now. In that sense, the, this, this uh, reasoning that we do about our relationships, why do I need a, a partner? Why do I, uh, I uh, live? Uh, why, um, why I have this body and why I like the things that I like? It's relationships that we can actualize also through movement, not only through faith. And this is where, you know, again, we we again scratch these similarities between physical activities that people find meaning in. So for example, the relationship with gravity. You know, parkour is a wonderful example of developing a very, very deep meaning about what is gravity for you. What does it mean to be a big person that climbs? What does it mean to not be afraid to jump from a branch to a branch? What does it mean and having the freedom that um, different things in the street and different architecture doesn't limit your vision of where you can go. And, you know, the same exact reason why, was probably the reason why people um, went into the crazy pursuit of inventing airplanes. You know, what is this relationship with gravity between me, the human, and the gravity that I experienced throughout my lifetime? and um, and again same if you think about martial arts for me martial arts is communication practice you know i basically i, I communicate uh, in about um, aggression and harmony about um, force and uh, intelligence and about stress and tranquility and i'm having a conversation with about another person about these things basically now if i would not practice martial art, my idea about what is aggression would be an idea that is outside of my body. And, you know, there is something here that you you could say it's um, experience a lesser reality, because martial art taught me that aggression is something very interesting and is very interesting throughout the years to define Tom in relation to this aggression. It also taught me again that aggression can be a source of harmony, you know. And again, and if you want another link here, you know, if you think about, for example, um, was I don't know if you're familiar with the wave of artists that were called the Abstract Expressionists. Americans, Jackson Pollock is a very popular uh, popular name, you know. Yeah. So again, there was something there about the sense in the chaos. I have uh, friends that are black belts or MMA coaches that this is exactly what they say they do. I find sense in the chaos. He puts it on a canvas. They talk about it with their fighters, with the sparring partner and and so on. But then again, uh, there is a big difference between both of these forms uh, to the form of uh, sitting at home and thinking that chaos is something that scares me or that I don't want to experience or that um, I shouldn't behave or act or do certain things because I don't want to be there. Uh, And that's exactly the difference for me, you know, and that's, that's expression. And this is, you know, again, if if you think about it, there is a very, very common attraction to this. I mean, again, the same, the same, probably, I don't know, but the same curiosity you had about jumping when you started parkour, some of it is still there today. You know much more, but you're still curious about the possibility of your relationship with the gravity and relationship with the ground, relationship with the gravity, communication, and everything that we cannot explain, you know, in in simple manner, we need to invent forms in order to to search for them. And again, in these forms can be more or less embodied. And uh, if, if, if we go back to, to, to the similarities, I believe that the embodiment makes things simple. And you practice every day aggression and harmony, you experience something you might be that until your last day in martial arts or in parkour, you will say, I came here, uh, I don't know, 50, 60, 70 years ago to understand something about gravity and I still know nothing. But you have so much experience with this thing throughout your lifetime that you did get something out of it. You know, you experienced gravity on a physical level with your body. Uh, so I don't know, it's a very it's a very slippery topic, but I think that this already clarifies at least uh, what I think is a bit more this uh, thing that we're searching for. Now why animals or other animals don't need it as much as us. And so again, you know, I'm I'm very, uh, the the work of Robert Sapolsky and, you know, there's other, uh, The Naked Ape, and, and there's many very interesting works that ask this question. And basically what, for me, for my reading and my studies and talking to people, nobody really understands why, you know, Why humans need this, needs meaning, needs understanding, needs expression, which is the three things that basically are talking about the same thing in different phases of the process. And then, of course, you could say as a joke, like, you know, maybe animals need it, but they just don't tell us. But probably that's not the case. Probably we need it. And the answer, I I still don't know, and I didn't find uh, anybody that really uh, managed to uh, explain it to me if it's even possible. I mean, I have a sense that
0: the fundamental thing about a human being, you know, from the, the Heinrich perspective is that we're cultural, right? That we, that we, um, we have this capacity to fill niches through aqu- acquiring culture, right? And this, this, this behavioral flexibility that we have um, and this ability to sort of be programmed um, by a culture, right? As opposed to sort of coming pre, pre, you know, this is, this is how I behave. This is what is meaningful to me. That, uh, I think that gives us a potential to be unmoored from our foundations. That is much higher, right? We can rebuild our foundations in a way that another animal can't, um, hmm. but those foundations are much more fragile.
1: That's interesting. That's an interesting way to look at it. You, you can rebuild it but it's it's more fragile because you because you rebuild it yeah. you know it's, a,
0: it's an interesting idea you have to constantly sort of um spin your web right <laughs> of your culture and, and keep and keep it updated because it's always being uh it's always being subject to to entropic forces so i think I think there's something interesting there. You know, that's why I get really into the, the peers and stuff is this idea that we are, um, we have to have a central orientation and that central orientation is in some sense a kind of cultural schema that we operate through and that we have these layers of, of, of conceptual thinking that we engage in and that what, what we can understand is always less. What's contained within that is always much less than the potential of what's outside of it. And so the, the, the thing is always going to have to be updated. And so we're always we're always facing that that need to update in order to um, in order to maintain the, the thing that we live within. So I don't know if that's an answer to your to the question you proposed. It feels like it's starting to be, but I feel less than perfectly clear there. Um, maybe it's just a moment that I'm at right now.
1: Um, yeah, I mean, the, I think I think that the, the, the two things that come to my mind as a response to what you say is, first of all, that, of course, that we're, we're, we're always, of course, bound to the limitations of language and part of the fragility that you speak about is that when we re, uh, you know, when we rebuild our uh, foundations, we, we, we feel that it must be incoherence with our ability to say, to say our meaning, to say what we're based on and probably saying is never, um, is never a sufficient method to define reality, here comes the body. Um, for me, for example, one of the things that has been influential in the way I think and the way I act with these things was my exposure to Zen, and, and both before and after I lived in Japan. And then there is something about Zen that is like, you know, the, the, on a very simple level is that, like, it is what it is. You know, then once you go further than it is what it is, you're already missing out the direct experience. And this is why the sometimes rather than going further in the understanding, what is your best option with embodied meaning is to practice, you know. So you have a question and then you go and you practice and you don't have a question and you answer it. Uh, Which this is for example, and and I feel that Again, as I'm getting older, I'm, I'm getting more and more uh, interested in also interacting with the intellectual field with, with uh, I teach a lot in, uh, in universities and um, but still there is this gap that I feel that on many of these topics, the difference between the, me and the people that I, that I speak to or the people that I read or the people that I write to is that me sometimes there is somewhere in the question that I just go and practice um, rather than, you know, I go further in understanding. Uh, but again, if we acknowledge that there is a very big problem with language and there is only so much that language can accommodate within what we experience, then I'm not sure that then by defining it better on a, on a wordy level, um, they go any, any further than me. Uh, you know what I'm saying? That's, uh, yeah, no, I know exactly what you're saying. Um... I, think I know exactly what you're
0: saying this like, comes to uh to like john rebakey's four p's of knowing, right we have propositional knowledge which is essentially the knowledge of articulated speech right it's uh, it's semantic it's logical coherence struggle and then we have the layer of procedure right so you can explain to someone um how to do a dance movement it doesn't mean that they know how to do it but then there's a layer below the procedure, which is sort of the perspective, right? It's like, as you acquire a vocabulary, a dance move, and a movement, and a a sense for the art that's happening there, then, then you see the world the way a dancer sees the world. And then there's the participatory, which is sort of like, you are in relationship to this practice, and it's transforming you, and your perspective on it is transforming all the time. And so the only way to know the experience of being a dancer um, is to is to do it, right? You're the only you know by being, right? Um, and so we have these these layers. And I find it interesting I through through this podcast and through my work now I'm like more and more communicating with people who are who are you know maybe a professor of ecological psychology or cognitive science and and I, I don't feel well read often in, in contrast with these people, right? It's like they're, they're talking about Heidegger and Plato and Hegel and Wittgenstein and, you know, Dreyfus and Newell or whomever it is. And, they're, and, and they've and they clearly read all these things. And I'm like, I know the people you're speaking about. Um, and I have a, a, a gestalt understanding of kind of what it's about, but I don't, I haven't read these things. Um, but somehow it seems like often I feel like I'm able to contribute insight in that conversation because the, the relatively shallow knowledge that I might have in these fields is interacting with a very different embodied sense of the world that comes through the practices that I've engaged in. And that is generative of insight in a way that is different than what happens when you just acquire knowledge from a sort of scientific, well-read perspective. And that's it's precisely the point of what we're talking about, which is that actually that acquiring of propositional knowledge doesn't make you wise or virtuous. It only, it only gives you the potential for paths to understanding. And they, they can't be, um, the transmutation can't take place without the practice. The practice is the um <laughs> I was just talking to my friend Dave Warden who likes to use uh alchemical metaphors, but it's the Olympic, right? Mm-hmm. It doesn't catalyze until there's practice.
1: what well, I I think that that um, for example the there is there is here the the it's nice because we're basically uh asking something about the combination of content and form. And, and humans are paradoxical. So many times they supposedly present content when they actually present form and vice versa. And, and usually as a human also you move between, you know, kind of uh, uh, sinning in going against the content that you proposed uh, or, you know, mixing between content and form. And I know it sounds abstract, but for example, you know, I read Heidegger and I read Hegel, and I know that both of them were also Nazis to a certain level. Well, Heidegger, yes, Hegel a bit less, but, you know, it's like people who were so uh, important to the Enlightenment, then, you know, they were part of this thing that we as a society consider was like, you know, anti-humane or whatever, you know, these things, they, they're not, you know, and this is totally fine. Um, but I think that there is, you know, the, the, going back to the idea of the meaning, what's important, uh, and here is the importance of expression, because expression is kind of what form do I choose to my content? You know, and knowing that not all forms were made equal to every person and to every content. Um, I like to I like to think about it in, for example, in dance terms, that people in dance talk a lot about styles you know, there's like in hip hop every every three, um, three new steps with a slightly off beat is a new style. <laughs> okay, and also now like I see also in parkour that they try to go down this, this style and that style, you know, and what style if, 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 if we try to find it, style is a manner of trying to express uh, content, you know, or you can go even deeper style is a manner of trying to express essence. Then. At certain point, usually when it's being spoken too much, it's like this broken telephone game. The only thing that you have the style without the essence that you try to express. And uh, again, the, given artistic example, it, I, I said breakdance. You know, breakdance was it was was a broken dance. It had a you know a political significance. By no means the universal form of breakdance in here in, uh, in Spain, in Catalonia, or in Israel when I grew up, it had the same political meaning for when it was formed in the 60s, in the 70s, uh, uh, you know, in the States and so on. So these things, you know, they are in a certain transition. Uh, now, again, for me, I think that, um, that there is a certain importance, especially considering the human condition, the human, uh, uh, poverty in the sense of um, enjoying uh, searching for meaning, not having meaning, but enjoying searching for meaning to remember that these styles and these forms should connect to a certain essence. And I think that even the intellectual game by no means is no different than these things, you know. Uh, so here we also have a problem that um the access to styles, the access to forms nowadays is much bigger um, than the access to essence and uh, content. Uh, probably because it's so easy to experience. It's so easy to buy a book of Heidegger today. It's so easy for me to know what's the new style in a neighborhood of New York, even you know, there's uh, tons of, uh, of miles between us. It, it's so easy to say, to know what he said, what she said brings us to a certain level that it's much easier to get just the result and not what stands behind it. Um, I think that here, you know, there is something that is very, is very, uh, uh, is very interesting. It's like that it's not only about the, the what is also about the why. Um, and the same why, again, it's also the why of people writing fancy philosophical books about why to live you know but if it's a fancy philosophical book in order to be part of a market to be part of to be part of the style again the style is easy to understand just for the sake of the style without the actual essence that should be expressed through this book then we're having something a little bit empty here uh so in that sense i think that um Yeah, you know, it's, um, you said that like, you know, you you feel sometimes, you know, more read, more well read or less well read when you talk to people. It's the same thing about like, you know, about movement. I meet people that I feel that they're like very, you know, movement culture, people know about a lot of, but how many of them look for embodied meaning? I don't know, sometimes more, sometimes less. I'm also not making such a pessimistic, I'm not intending on making a pessimistic view of the world. Um, But this connection, I think, and this is kind of like, you know, it summarizes a couple of the the, the things that we spoke about together. This connection between the content and the form, this is the expression. And this is something that I think it's important because the expression allows you to find your own personal meaning. I'm using this style, I'm using this form, I'm writing this book to express this essence, this curiosity, this relationship that I want to, to know deeper. Um, I'd love to hear you define essence,
0: content, and form. What what do
1: those words mean to you? I just did, no? Oh, I I didn't. (laughs) Uh, No, I don't think so. I
0: mean, there's an implication for what they mean, but I'd like to hear it more clear because You know, like I said, I just had a conversation with my friend Dave Wardman, and, uh, and you know, essence, this is this is at the heart of what he's trying to do, essentially, like, help people break, let's say, help people break from, uh, he talked about this idea of mind shapes, that we're sort of stuck in, in these, these sort of mechanical mind shapes, and the idea is that when once we can recognize how those play out, and we can break them, then the essence can flow through Well, what is the essence, right? And and I almost hear something that reflects the view, which was like, we go to dance in order to express the essence. But dance is codified in forms. And so we can end up we can end up expressing the form, and the form can be empty of content. Right? So so I can I can I can dance a, a pasta doble, right? And a pasodoble doble is very sexual and very assertive and very, very aggressive. And I can, I can have all of the movement that looks like that and I can feel none of it inside of me, right? I can have no, nothing that I'm actually expressing or intending to express.
1: But I, I think what, what you said now is, is very, it's, you know, it has a certain precision in it. You know, the, the problem is even that usually it's more complex. Essence is a complex thing. It's like, you know, what is my essence? Is the accumulation of experiences of Tom trying to define himself throughout his life until he will die, and to trying to define the world until he will die. So, which is very different than yours, which is very different than anyone else. So everybody has their essence. And then to express it through predetermined forms is a very difficult thing to do. This is, of course, why we probably need to practice a lot. Um, but, you know, at the same way, if you want to, uh, you know, again, just to, to hit it from another, uh, another angle. So, I know you practice, uh, you practiced, pr- still practice, I suppose, uh, Brazilian Jiu Jitsu. Yeah. And uh, then... Uh, or... A little bit, a little bit of Jiu Jitsu. Here the and time there. Time here time and time there. Time. Well, there is, a, there is a question that we can make it very accessible also for the people who listen who don't know Brazilian Jiu Jitsu. That throughout the past, I think it's probably 20 years, there is a very, very big discussion if the rules of Jiu-Jitsu makes it be less of an martial arts and more of a sport or a leisure activity. So you have Hickson Gracie that said that you should always remember that what part of what you're trying to express is being the little man that can interact with aggression. Uh, with being um, suppressed uh, with um, uh, with predators, yeah. and this needs to be translated into uh, subtleties and into details. You know, um, now it doesn't go to a black and white, even though that's probably what the culture tries to do. Which means Hickson wants this technique and not this technique, but it's not what he's saying. He's saying there is a certain essence and there is details that probably are subjective and dynamic and should respect this. Now, probably, on the other side, if you want to understand these details, you need a couple of good years of doing jujitsu and feeling okay, I am this and this person, I have this and this personality, I'm stronger here i weak and weaker there. So these details is things that I can practice now, but will also help me to express this essence. Yeah. But then, on a bit, uh, in order to make the activity of jiu-jitsu fit more people and being easily communicated to more people you make it a sport when you make it a sport the details get uh, diluted it becomes more rough winner loser and you're allowed to do this you're not allowed to do this and this level that level you know things like this and I think that in that sense that's um you know there's always people who, who feel more comfortable in a culture that has been um, that has gone through the process of being more accessible. And there's more, there's people who, who doesn't need it. Me, for example, I, I don't always need the, the, the activity that I engage in um, to be accessible. So in that sense, when I meet codes of dance, I genuinely ask, if, do I feel that these codes, they, they fit what I want to express? If they fit, you know? I try, to, I try to find this connection. I try to express through them. If they don't fit, I just leave them. You know, even if it's the code that is needed. Um, and I don't think that, uh, and I think that also, here, here there's, a, there's a question of like, okay, so how do I know, you know, because I'm kind of saying this thing, I'm, I'm, I'm saying like basically, and um, you can never know by what a person does, what is trying to express. So I think that listening more carefully, looking a bit more deeply always helps to find if there is or there isn't coherence between an essence and a form. Uh, you come to dance, you know, I meet a lot of people that I you know, I would ask them, why do you wanna, why do you wanna come to this class? Uh, because I want to feel my body better. Then when we start doing an activity, you know, five minutes later, Like, why are you doing this? Because I want to succeed the flipping backwards. Didn't you say you want to feel your body better? Were you even listening to your body when you were doing this thing? You know, no, absolutely not. So you have an incoherence, you know, you're not expressing, you're, you know, you're going with a certain, supposedly you came with a certain intention, then the intention is totally different. And then the expression is totally different. No problem, you know, this is totally fine, but which reveals something uh, uh, about, you know, this question, what is the content, what is the form, what is the expression, and probably, you know, um, it's subjective, and probably with a little bit of awareness, personal awareness, I can say if I am expressing something that is essential for me or not, but I need to constantly ask it. I uh, do the idea that pops
0: in my head there is kind of around Jung's idea of individuation. You think that one of the purposes of practice, what I mentioned, right, is the integration of the aspects of the self. And I think that this part of you that wants to uh, to be able to do a backflip and the part of you that wants to, to feel their body better, they might you know they might both be there, right? They're both motivations, right? Or they're, they're, they're representations of different aspects of your mind. And we have, these, we have these layers of the self, right? We have obviously conscious mind, subconscious, emotion, cognition, you know, intuition. Um, and, then, and then we have sort of motivational states, right? Is the, the angry you has a different motivational pattern than horny you, than, you know, loving you, than, you know, whatever it is. And, and so the reality is that those things can be very deeply in conflict. Right? You're obviously uh, the angry part of you can be very deeply in conflict with the caring part of you. And so, what we're, in order to express the essence, perhaps, what we're looking for is a better comprehension and coherence between all the aspects of the self. So we. John Vivek has this beautiful analogy of um, complexification, right? Complexification is a process where things differentiate and yet are united. Mm -hmm. So it's like as you're practicing and as you're doing things, you want to recognize finer and finer aspects of the self, right? Mm -hmm. This is this, this particular motivation within you, this particular Framework. This particular almost personality within me, I know it better, and I know the subcomponents of it better, and yet, and then I can, then I can recognize how it integrates with everything else.
1: Well, I, I think another interesting uh, to collaborate on this one, and um, you know, the ideally, let's say, a self that is uh, that is alive is also is constantly like you know, constantly learning, constantly picking up things and releasing things, and. Mm-hmm. Um, And I think that in every uh, in every physical practice. And this is something that probably, you know, uh, um, embodiment goes a little bit further than other methods that I've encountered is also to realize not only the finer aspects of yourself, but also the frozen or the stuck or the. the, 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 Yeah, I would say frozen and stuck aspects of the self, the places that, you know, you it it kind of stayed stable. It stayed static. And then again, I'm, I'm, for example, I'm not, a, I'm not a therapist whatsoever. But like you know, traumas, um, preconceptions that um, that you never could communicate, uh, problems that you never could uh, resolve. You know, all of these things they can create things that like kind of sounds like stop discovering, stop discovering the self, stop discovering the world, uh, and. I, I think that they, that that, for example, these things. If we're not looking for this uh, content and expression through form, we can practice something for a whole lifetime, and they will just like you know be frozen from beginning to end. You know, accommodating <laughs> accommodating our practice, accommodating our uh, preconceptions. Um, Me, another thing that maybe to throw into this, uh, into this dish that is very important, this is why meditation uh, is very supportive in this pursuit of um, both of embodiment and also of art. Uh, Because meditation is kind of the place for me when I'm minimizing the, the, this uh, meaningful embodiment to the minimum. Intention is, is, is labored, is physical, you know, and most of, the, most of the conflicts and the paradoxes that come are actually usually very, very physical. You know, um, even though today you can sit on a pillow with an air conditioning and listen to Sam Harris guiding you in his soft voice through, uh, still probably what will, let's say, mess you up or, 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 or limit you in what you intended to do, is that you you know, you will get nervous in your body. You will, you will, something get numb. Um, you have a pain from, from sitting, from holding your head, from you know, whatever. Uh, and usually also, if you repeat the experience of meditation in your practice, you realize that there is also a repetition of the thing that limits you. Then you start to, to ask yourself, okay, I have here something that's stuck. I have here something that limits me. What does it express? Not only what I want to express because, okay, you know, again, in the dance, when I dance, I go for what I want to express. When I meditate, I confront what I express subconsciously and doesn't let me meditate. You, you know what I'm saying? You, you follow this? Uh, so here there's also a, a, a very interesting question about the refinement uh, of the self because There is a certain faith that the meditation and you know staying in the meditation or you know again and and i'm not getting into the technique the method there because there's there's plenty also meditation is a very big word, but will allow me to do exactly what you said you know to learn something about the world and about the about the self then something bothers me there something is in the way and usually it's not a coincidence And this process is metaphorical to also the constructive process of practicing a physical activity of practicing embodied meaning. I go back again and again, and I work on something, you know, and I work on something with, you know, with a certain intention, a certain intention to refine. I really like that you say to refine, certain intention to learn, certain intention to experience, but usually there's things in the way. And I need a lot of awareness in order to um, realize when something comes and limit me and what it is and what to do with it. Um, And again, I don't want to, to, to repeat it too much. And this is very much connected, in my opinion, to this question. What's my essence and what's the form that I choose in order to express this essence?
0: Yeah, I've been talking a lot about this idea of the ecology of practices, right? Mm. Right, and I, again, I I really like that frame of how do we integrate aspects of the self, integrate those aspects of the self in relationship to the the the, the objective world, the world of objects, and the world of agents. That's a nice way to think about it. self, mm-hmm. objects, agents, right? But uh, yeah. there's there's so dance, right? Well, there's, there's solo dance, and then there's partner dance and group dance. And so once, once we go into partnering group dance, then we're, we're working in this realm of interaction. Um, meditation for me um, is, is one of those key things that we do to be able to better map the self. Mm-hmm. be able to say what are these different aspects of it like, I think I feel like um, it's very it's very easy to be blind to yourself within mm-hmm. the modern world I mean, perhaps this is always true but I, but I have a sense that a world that has more quiet in it has more more directly confronts you with your um, with yourself, right? But the world in which your phone is always available, the internet is always available, you can always watch TikTok. It's like you could, you could, you can occupy yourself with stimulation um, every moment of the day that you're not asleep. Yeah. And then you can, you could never ask the question, why this thing, right? Why am I? Why am I consuming this content? Why am I getting angry about the people uh, who I disagree with politically all day, every day? Why am I? And, and that, that question. But uh, this is
1: what you said here is like, I think it's, it's, it's gold. Because, like, you know, let, let me a little bit, like, now, now uh, and place it in, in the world of art and that. So we spoke about Jackson Pollock, you know. Usually you bring up the name Jackson Pollock as an artistic reference nowadays, people will start talking about, is it or is it not worth the millions of millions that it has been sold to? But it doesn't matter. This is not the point, you know, this is the destruction. It's like seeing a movement that inspires you and asking why it has 20,000 views or 20 views, you know? The market is, you know, it's again, as an Israeli, I allow myself once an in interview to say it. The market is the bullshit. You know, it's this is the distraction, it's the distraction from the self. But think about Jackson Pollock and the people around him, and the fact that you had after World War II men in America expressing their feelings. You know, they, and the feelings were complicated back then. This was a very, very problematic time. Because all of the feelings were basically feelings of being lost, of being clueless. Then you have it bam, in front of you on a canvas that so everybody can see. You know, there was something very, very important in this act, and and it's very, very important that it will not get diluted in the market and you know and the, 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 the appreciation and the you know everything around it that this is is it's, it's not part of this, like, you know, it's part of the form. It's not part of the content and the expression. Um, And then, for example, you know, in the same way, I think that there is something important about dance that is very similar to martial arts. And this is that dance and martial arts. Fundamentally, they expressing the embodiment of rebellion in the status quo. Martial art is not the art of the athlete beating down a kid. You know, on the contrary, martial art is the weaker man or the weaker woman overcoming um, with knowledge, with intelligence, which thinks that anybody can acquire with time and focus and overcoming the the normal status quo, which is, you know, a bigger scary person will um, dominate you physically. Same about dance. It's supposed to be the expression, you know, and this is why I think that, for example, this Jackson Pollock expression is a good example. Another good example is a bit less popular, but uh, for example, one of the biggest uh, names that were very, very fundamental in the development of dance. The way it is today is Pina Bausch, the German uh, choreographer. It was also, also very important, also very close in the meaning to this. You know, a German, uh, a German woman post World War II, pushing this very European upper middle class form and bringing it um, more humane content, more humane forms using the form to deconstruct itself, actually. And in a way, to see people moving in ways that you never saw before, because it's not socially accepted, because it's um, not um, um, not intuitive, uh, because it's, uh, you know, whatever, like, uh, there, there can be, like, you know, I'm not talking about, and again, I don't want it to be confused with the status quo on a, you know, big, big ge- generic uh, populistic terms of uh, right and left, which is usually where it can lead. I'm not talking about this, I'm talking about uh, doing doing the unexpected, you know, uh, living through certain values, the, the, the life that you could live, that you couldn't live if you wouldn't have practiced. You know, that's kind of the change of the status quo that I'm talking about, and I think this is, it's so uh, It's so empowering as a human, through your movement, to change the the status quo, to change your preconceptions. I think I'd like
0: to push back on that, because I think there's an interesting tension here. And this actually gets to some of my, where I think dance is unsatisfying to me, or art is. I grew up within the inversion, if that makes sense. Right. And I think that's part of what a version. Yeah. Like I grew up in the I mean, county. So I grew up in the anti-status quo. Uh-huh. Right. So if you think about, you know, American culture um, and American culture, of course, has a global impact. Right. Um, mm-hmm. I grew up in the, the, the response against the, the mainstream of American culture, right? The hippie movement. Yeah, I, I've been thinking a lot recently just about how much that impacts my perspective and what I'm seeking. Right? And it's like, clearly I'm a hippie, right? Um, but sometimes I feel like I'm apostate, right? I'm like a Jew who doesn't go to synagogue. I can still make jokes about my people, but um, but I'm not showing up at synagogue. But, uh, but there, there's something for me that's very much seeking the ground because what happened in the counterculture became so ungrounded. And so when I hear you talk about Dance and martial arts as, as anti-status quo. There's something that really objects to that in me, right? Because I think that so much dance, so much, so much, so much art has become nonsense because it can't get outside of deconstruction, and and you can't you can't deconstruct deconstruction. It's it, it becomes an endless inversion. There has to be something to construct. There has to be something that's oriented, right? Like
1: the yeah. great. Let no, me. It, it's, it's it's a very it's true it's a good point but thinking about it it's also like you know the, the reason you know the, how much is a legitimate question you know yeah like I'm not the
0: construction is all wrong but I want to I want to finish this thought if you don't mind yes it. yes sorry sorry um, the idea that art is inherently anti status quo seems ahistorical to me right like the cathedrals of Europe are, are very oh. status quo right existing mm-hmm. chapel like this is is all about expressing the beauty of the highest expression of the hierarchy right and then there is this this idea that comes into the world of deconstruction and postmodernism and, and, and everything has to be breaking form everything has to be in order to get back to the essence we have to break 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 and to me there's something's missing there and even within the martial arts like it's a myth that it's always about the, uh, the little guy beating the uh, big guy. Because the reality is always that the big guy who's skilled beats the small guy who's skilled. And and that's not where it started, right? It, the, the point of, of jiu-jitsu is not to teach small guys to beat big guys. The point of jiu-jitsu is to teach soldiers to be able to defend themselves when they lost their weapon. Like that's the origin of jiu-jitsu. Jitsu is, is craft, right? Like jitsu is...
1: Skill, it's jutsu, it's a bit closer to skill than to craft,
0: okay, the so word jutsu. Yeah. It's a set of skills that are relevant to a specific professional class, mm-hmm. and that professional class would be selected as much as possible for being the bigger, scarier guy.
1: So let's just, just one one interesting thing here, because it's, it's true. And the tension that you bring, I have to say, is not, I don't think it's the tension between me and you, it's the tension of times. Because you put something in the wrong moment and in the wrong amount, it's, it, it can become like, you know, totally silly, you know? And, and that, and a nice story that people don't tend to know that, like, the origin of martial arts is very much connected to the, um, after the Sekigahara War which basically samurais, they lost their status. They were not needed anymore. Samurai culture before, uh, again, not getting to the whole uh, Nobunaga wanted to unite Japan, he lost. And basically um, the the kind of feudal Japan stopped being feudal and they started to actually work with a a system that was a bit more, uh, let's say, a a little bit more diplomatic. Uh, And basically the the samurai, they were not needed because before then, if you had power, which means if you have money, the money would translate in you having bodyguards, okay, you have a dispute, the person with more money, which means more bodyguards, you know, they, they go and they kill and rape the people in the other castle, because there's more of them. You take the castle and it's all, you know, it's all good, this is how, this is how we do business. Uh, then there was this war, the whole political status change, you know, Shogun, again, it's, a, it's a another, uh, we can do a, another uh, podcast just on this, but to make a long, sh- a long story short there was no any more necessity for solving things with bodyguards you know summarized before that were thugs there was not no not much beauty you know they had fancy weapons and when you had more they would win you know you had military strategies and stuff like this then all of a sudden you have a full population because imagine it was it was a status it's almost like having all the Upper middle class in a country now being out of job. There's time going around and they have nothing to do. So they started to bring in philosophy and beauty and culture into what they know. And all of a sudden, you start to get um, characters like uh, Musashi um, and like, you know, in in literature and and all the doors, you know, like as a way of life, you know, things. Before this, it was, was a bunch of thugs. You know, there was not the way of life of the sword. But then when the sword is not needed for killing people, but you invested a bunch of time living with the sword, you look for another meaning. Again, philosophy, art, eh, so on and so on. And this is where martial arts came into the picture. Now, if we want to philosophize about it, martial arts are never efficient. When you bring art into the picture, there is an art. The art is the non-efficient part. And it's also the fun part, you know. Again, you know, Sunrise became popular at this moment. Before this, nobody wanted anything to do with them. Uh, you understand what I'm saying? So it's also very much contextual to the time. And I totally get that from perspective of growing up within hippie culture, you know, saying something like I'm saying, like, ah, it's so inspiring to move against the Sunscore. And you're like, doesn't sound that inspiring to me. It sounds a bit like, you know, remind me of that. <laughs> The smell, yeah. of, uh, it like smell the of joints when I was a kid. I kind of like, you know, it's like, of course, I understand. But contextualizing also can go a long way in that sense. So,
0: so a couple things things. One, I use the term martial arts in a broader sense. You're just talking specifically about the history of Japanese martial arts but there's a Chinese history
1: of martial arts and a Southeast Asian history of martial arts. True, 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 true. And uh, I I made it a bit more exciting, the story for that, but it's it's true that it's not a a complete one. It's not exactly accurate.
0: I'm curious how much the the dough was not part of the the, the samurai thing. Like obviously there's a thug element, but we know that chivalry was a real philosophical tradition, a real um, ideology within Europe, European soldiers, right? And that that is it is very like they're trying to be Christians, they're trying to, you know, engage in courtly love. Like there's all these aspects to it. And then at the same time, you know, you know, Richard the Lionheart, who's maybe, you know, the flower of chivalry, he enslaves Christian peasants in Sicily on his way to fight Saladin in the Mediterranean. It's like, yeah,
1: you know, <laughs> There this, was, this whole chivalry again, is like, you know, it's a bit of a stretch, I would say, like, yeah. It's
0: not, it wasn't invented afterwards, right? It's not like once, once European soldiers weren't needed on the battlefield, they invented chivalry. Chivalry was invented at the time. Did, 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 did Christian soldiers live up to it? Mostly, no. Um, but the very ideology itself is quite interesting, because the idea of the righteous knight is not something that necessarily existed in say, Mongol culture or Celtic culture or Scythian culture. There's a point at which the thugs are just thugs and they know that they're thugs. And there's a point at which the thugs think that they're philosopher kings, but they're still mostly thugs. <laughs> but maybe you have to be a thug who thinks he's your philosopher king before you get to the
1: philosopher king, right? Like no, it's an interesting. Like we could go deeper. I mean, it's not black and white. It's not black and white, this is for sure. Um, but I think it's, it's, again, it's, it's also depends what, what is your, what, what are your daily necessities? If you need to kill people, I don't know how many hours or to fight people, how many hours you don't have time, you know, too much to make, make anything (laughs) out of it. Well, that's, that's for this. most
0: soldiers didn't have to kill people very often. Right? So, so when you're, when you're, when you're a samurai or a knight, or 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 one of these professional classes soldiers, part of the this, fall, this I don't expect
1: it depends when and where. This is what what and again, this is you know, this is the tension here because we're talking about when and where. Yeah, yeah, but when you read the historical accounts, you realize that that actual hand-to-hand combat was a
0: small part of these people's lives. It didn't happen with super high frequency for most, most people in these professional classes, my understanding which also leads to why they might need a philosophy, right? It's like What are they going to fill their time with? You spend hours and hours and hours a day crafting this art to be able to kill somebody, which you don't get to test very well, um, and and then you don't you don't do it. Um, So there's something interesting there as well, I think. But um,
1: well, look at the same at the same point. Another, if 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 we're already like you know getting dirty in this think about that, that a lot of the things that became the fundamentals and, and, and can use this example before I will make it a bit more specific. Uh, they make they became fundamental in the Western canons of philosophy, where back in the day, a bunch of rebels, a bunch of renegades, you know, plateau, Jesus, I mean, yeah. like, you know, that there the was there an attempt to change, to change a certain status quo, then of course, going back to what I say, you get the form, you keep it for too long. It's totally changed the essence or the content that it was expressing 100, 200,000 years ago. You know, so also, yeah.
0: So, I I just love this. I think that that Peterson describes this better than anybody else because I think it really, really honed it, But, but the reality is that you exist you you exist within a, a social structure and the social structure has a encodes the meaning right you, you have some sense of meaning because of this we've all agreed to some degree on these set of things and it and it orients you towards how you relate and achieve all the things that you need to achieve and it always has two problems one is that things invade it from outside or things are revealed that it doesn't understand so that's a non right and and then also it becomes stagnant and tyrannical over time. So then the, the, the hero, the, the heroic individual's task is always to be willing to confront anomalies, right? And then be willing to confront the tyranny of society. So we're, all, we're always needing to update the society as it is. But we always also have to go down And figure out what aspects of the society are essential to allowing us to solve the next set of problems. And so, yes, a lot of great art or a lot of great philosophy is is, let's say, progressive, but a lot of it's conservative too. Like how much amazing music is is devoted to Christ, right? And Christ was a revolutionary when he was, when he was in, you know, when he was fighting the Sadducees and the Pharisees, but he's the the definition of the status quo in medieval Europe, right? And the cathedrals and the songs that are that are written to him, like those are those are songs to the the, the top of the hierarchy of the status quo. Um,
1: but but I think this is important because if we're if we're bringing back again art into the picture, art represents the time. You know, again the, the the story of the the for me the story of, for example, the um, and again the status quo. It might be a problematic term because. I would say that, like, you know, it can, it's, it's pointing too much to the, um, to the social, and I'm a little bit more talking about, again, about the self in relation, you know, it's more like to change the status quo of what's myself in relation to the world. You know, my position changes, my uh, relationship to the world changes through this thing that that I do and, and, and practice. Uh, and then I think that, for example, in our times, and this is why, for example, martial arts are popular, and why, um, you know, why there is more new forms of dance uh, uh, by the minute, uh, because we are losing um, a battle for meaning before we're losing a battle for our lives. Yeah. And this is this is very, and it's very common, you know. Like, many of the people that you mentioned they think that they, they say it they write it and it's like you don't need to you don't need to have any degree in anything to 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 feel that the, the to make sense is much more of a difficult thing nowadays than to stay alive staying alive is quite you know it's quite easy to be honest that, it, that you know, not. let's not also I'm, I'm very thankful for making it so far and i hope for many more years but you know obviously it's not like it was before and again No need to to think about it deeply to see uh, this difference. So all of these things that that we express are in response to this. Now, there are also a bit more subtle differences, as you said, like, you know, um, for example, when you grow up in a counter culture and you see the problems of constant deconstruction and constant um, disobedience or constant, um, you know, doubt when also you know th- th- there is a lot of things that can become okay you know I'm, I'm I want to practice as a human I also want to practice what does it mean to construct what is a, you know a structure that I um, that I'm proud of that I'm happy with and not all the time like you know just look for the for the holes and the dismantling um, but but usually yeah, we fall here and uh, most most uh, most movements not movements of the body movements of people they many times they fall into redundancy in that sense in my opinion and because it becomes again it becomes too non-nuanced non-enough respectful to the times and the place uh, and... i I don't
0: quite understand the connection that you're making between uh, the, the, the philosophical side and the movement can you, can you go to a little bit more detail right there? Yeah, no. The movement
1: now—I didn't mean movement. I meant movement. The organizations, you know, cultural organization. This is what I call a movement. This was yeah. the so it's like you know, the you know, you, you said like you know, uh, U.S. hippies in that sense. You know, there was some wonderful things there, but you know, it also it became extremely redundant at a certain point. Yeah, you know. So it depends on who you interact with. The nuanced version, the nuanced version on almost anything that humans can uh, express is interesting. You know, then the non nuanced version, you know, wh- whether it's hippie or, um, or capitalist or democratic, usually is just as redundant.
0: It's interesting, we need non nuanced versions though right, like we need, we need collective stories that are simple and easy for people to understand that actually guide us in in positive ways like i think that, that that's part of the central problem that we have right now is that like at least in the united states and i think that is impacting the rest of the world we have this left versus right dichotomy and they're more and more dominated by the most pathological versions of themselves so like there's lots of people who i consider leftist thinkers who i have incredible respect for and love the nuance of the way that they think about things and same thing on the right but the 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 simplistic, easily understood narrative on both sides has devolved to a thing that's utterly pathological, looks like to me. And, mm-hmm. and and saying, well, the interesting stuff is happening at nuance is great, but um, but it doesn't. It's not competitive, right? Like you can't you, you can't organize, you know, you you can't sloganeer the most nuanced stuff necessarily. And, and so I think there, it's like, how do you create a narrative that can be simplified down to the, the to something that anyone can kind of grab, um, but that can generate itself up to the levels of nuance that that, that really we need to guide wisdom. Like, I think that's at the center of the problem.
1: Well, then it's we're we're definitely suffering from um, you know there is something about the. Um, Aside from, from what you said, and by the way, not only in the US there's many countries, also in Europe also I I know I don't live anywhere in Israel, the just, what's that?
0: I think that we're we have the worst case and that our case is in many in many in many ways affecting the rest of the world. Right? You, you hold your
1: flag proudly, let's say. <laughs> let's put it like this. And you you and you fight for it, you know, you represent. <laughs> you know, when you live in the, (laughs) but but look, even, you know what, even in that sense, one of the problems is that you take America, it's too big to be, you know, pulled down into values or principles that can unite all this huge versatility of people and needs, you know, and it cannot be a person. It cannot be a set of rules because it's, there's too, there's too many and it's too big. And there's, so it's never getting nuanced. You know, um, anything that can be, you know, generalized to such a big group of people will have to compromise on a certain level of redundancy. And, and again, remember that this split becomes in an era that supposedly communication and the process of learning about different places, knowing what people say in this part of the world, in that part, world, in this part, it's becoming. You have more possibilities to know about versatility, supposedly, and things become more black and white. And again, I go, I go to this because knowledge is it's over, um, you know, over accessible, you know, if I can make it a bit more provocative and say, it's over democratic.
0: Well, I would say it's, it's information, information, information without, um, sense making and prioritization relevance realization um is talked to contextualization yes contextualization so you the problem you have is that you have lots of, you have inform you have sufficient information to create a compelling case to believe many different things and you have very poor sense making apparatus to help you understand what what can really guide you i think is, is that the single problem but I, I'm aware of time now, and I, uh, we'd like to do some question and answer with, with, our, uh, with our students um, before we let you go, Tom. So I wanted to finish with one thing, because I just, you know, I, I like this theme that we're on, and I wanted to offer one more thing and, and, and get your closing comments on it. But uh, I, I recently had a conversation with Jonathan Pajot, and he's a symbolic thinker, right? And, and he's he's pointed out that a lot of the kind of nuanced, interesting thinking happening right now, it sort of builds itself as uh, as a rebellion. Um, excuse me for a second. Um, but you can't create a stable hierarchy when everything's a rebellion, right? Rebellions just become recursive when rebellion is the highest value. You just have a rebellion of a rebellion of a rebellion of a rebellion. So the fact that like, you know, our culture's sort of, you know, maybe the best, the biggest motif is, you know, Star Wars, it's the rebellion, right? You're, you're, when we we elevate that. So we see rebel wisdom, the dark enlightenment, you know, the the intellectual dark web and all these kind of names coming up. And they're all, they're all sort of anti-hierarchical or anti, they're um, anti-status quo deconstructions and then of course what's happening in the mainstream is is all about that as well and so he says the narrative that we're in, that you we should be paying attention to looking for is the return of the king right? tolkien tolkien of course is a great artist i imagine you agree but is his art about anti-status quo or is it about the return of the rightful well-organized you know mandate of heaven
1: it, it, we're in star wars right we didn't uh we stay in star wars so my what's my take on star Wars? <laughs> I, I don't yeah. like star wars that much right. <laughs> talking about star wars, Tolkien, in a sense like what do what these things
0: symbolize in our culture because when yeah. you're talking about the role of martial arts and and dance you're talking yeah. about the status quo and so i'm pushing back on that and saying well here here's two pieces of art Star Wars which is which is anti status quo and and Tolkien which is about the resumption of the proper status quo in some sense right yeah you understand where I, where i'm going
1: with this yeah 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 i understand i mean i think it's i think it's a very nice it's a very nice uh, both of these references are very nice and i think that there is something that um, for example that also uh, in Tolkien Tolkien, talking. Um, sorry, my, my accent uh, failed me now, and it's a, it, it's very, it's very comes across in the Lord of the Rings, and that's the, that's a collaboration and roles, you know, there's something really beautiful about how they're structured, this team, you know, throughout, um, and this team, sometimes it needs to individuate, sometimes they need to form a, to form a very strong hierarchy sometimes. Um, and then for me, for example, uh, you know, me, Star Wars is like, it, it's, not my, uh, it's not my cup of tea, even though I watched everything, of course, but there is something interesting. I will, instead of answering hit you with another reference in the, the difference between a uh, Japanese animation to Western animation. So Japanese animation, Dragon Ball Z, Western animation, uh, Conan, you know? So usually, or Batman superheroes, usually in the superheroes world, the hero is the one that fights for his or her values, and despite they need to leave their girlfriend or to uh, you know or to change costume or but they stay um, faithful to their original call to help the people of Gotham to uh, you know and so on and so on, and then in uh, in Japanese in, you know Dragon Ball Z for example or the films of Hayao Miyazaki. And um, the hero is the one who changes, you know, so in uh, uh, Spirited Away by Hayao Miyazaki, the little girl, she started innocent um, innocent and, and, and almost um, and afraid and she finishes something different, you know, and she's ready to continue changing. Same with Dragon Ball. Goku is not, he's constantly changing. He's constantly messing up. But he's learning and he's little by little experiencing more aspects of life through this. And I'm saying that the team of Lord of the Rings is a little bit more following this logic. It's a team that as much as, you know, I I agree that they also kind of, they they bring back the peace in a way. Um, But also what attracted me when I was um, was reading the books and and then later the movies is that... um, it's very interesting, their, their ability to react to the different adventures in different ways. Um, so
0: it's kind of another, another
1: possible uh, narrative to this uh, symbol, symbols. I, yeah, I'm not sure that I agree about, about West versus
0: East on that because I think that the fundamental heroic arc is always about the transformation of the character. Right? Like you think about Joseph Campbell's you know, monomyth, the idea is that the character starts somewhere they're, they they haven't individuated. They're not their their most heroic self. They face crisis, and then they overcome crisis. That's a comedy, right? They don't overcome crisis, and their their flaws take them down to the bottom. That's a tragedy. You, you see that all the way going back to Greece. So yeah,
1: yeah. No, it's true. You have also a Ulysses, and you have a lot of you have a lot of stories of of, of transformation, bad
0: character development stories in the West recently where they. Where heroes are introduced as heroic but if you look at Luke in the uh, in the original Star Wars trilogy and you compare him to Rey in the new Star Wars trilogy, Rey is a, essentially a perfect character who has all who has everything, and she just figures out she's like I'm a badass and I understand everything. Now I'm more badass and I understand everything. Luke is a whiny little farm boy who doesn't know things and keeps making mistakes and gets his hands chopped off right and through crisis after crisis then he achieves a character transformation that allows him to you know theoretically integrate the force
1: so so let's 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 agree that depends on the time and the place sometimes we need to uh, dismantle the heart the hierarchy sometimes we need to bring back the king but nevertheless um uh, transformation is a
0: there's always a necessity for
1: it. always a necessity in order to do
0: what's needed. So I think that's a good place to end. So for folks who are interested in, in movement archery, which we didn't talk too much about, uh, this is mostly movement philosophy with Rafe and, and Tom, but um, for folks who want to know about your approach to uh, to moving and dance and, um, and all the things that you do, uh, where, where should they look for you? What do you got going on?
1: Yeah, I, I think that, that this conversation, uh, anyways, uh, lays uh, laid out a lot of uh, a lot of my approach. Um, so there's movement, the, the movementarchery.com. That's the kind of the pedagogical body of work with the workshops, uh, which already also we you you get to participate in. And, um, and more about acrobatics, more about partner dance, more, more about movement in general and then the second resource is um, uh, wondergroundcompany.com uh, this is my collaboration with my partner Luzeto 2000 and that's our uh, basically our, our arts and performer performance arts company and that's the second kind of uh, body of work that, uh, again more installation more performances when uh, in more creation processes in the more kind of the realm of art so movementarchery.com uh, wonderguncompany.com and uh, yeah i think this is a
0: uh... you just recently uh released a new um like online
1: teaching product that right? says yes on freedom of movement it's called essays on freedom of movement and um, it's there there is right now only the first volume the first volume covers a uh, roles and it's all—it's um, basically the response uh, I learned in, uh, like many other people in COVID, to work with the uh, with the digital uh, digital media in the digital platform. And it's a very um, what I try to do uh, is to do something very authentic, very honest, and very thorough, and um, that I can put in this, um, you know, yeah, in this uh, universe that's running in parallel uh, right now. And, and this is basically to extract the things that have, for me personally, in my practice, um, a very, very wide possible development and a lot of kind of a, let's say, value that is relevant to people regardless of their discipline. Not everything that I do can be translated, but some things that I do, I feel they can be translated almost to anybody with a body and interest. Um, So the first volume that I did was uh, about roles and... Uh, it, took, uh, it took almost uh, 10 months to write it and then a lot of also the post-production and everything. Um, and uh, yeah, it's a, basically a very, very thorough masterclass with a lot of kind of technical challenges, creative uh, possibilities. Um, and it's also there in uh, movementarchery.com slash shop, I think. Uh, essays on Freedom of Movement. Um, yeah, and it's a, so far reviews and their feedbacks have been very positive. So I'm very happy about it as a first attempt to do something like this. Awesome. Yeah, I know you're
0: a huge geek on rules. We've talked about that quite a bit. Uh, so I, I, I recommend people check that out. Um, if, uh, what we're gonna go to now is we're gonna turn off the live stream here to YouTube. We're just gonna do question answers for our podcast subscribers and Academy members. So if you've been watching this and you wanna join, follow the link in the description on YouTube uh, so you can join us for a live conversation next time. Uh, Tom, thanks for being here and uh, stick around with us. Big pleasure, Abe. Hey, you reached the end of another Evolve Move Play podcast. If you enjoyed what you heard, if you wanna be involved in the conversation, please consider joining us in our new membership subscription so you can get access to question and answers with our live speakers once a month, question and answers with me once a month, and a dedicated forum to discuss everything going on in the podcast, as well as a general discussion of movement on our general movement forums. If you're interested in that, make sure to check out the link below, get signed up and join a part of our membership community. If you can not join our membership community right now, it's still always helpful. If you can like, share, and subscribe, and even hit that bell and get notifications for upcoming Evolve Move Play podcasts. But, audios for now, and we'll see you next time. Thanks guys.